Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 18. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Uh, good evening. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. And uh, if you're uh, visiting us for the first time, um, my name is Sam. I'm the pastor of this church. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting time in the life of our church. And this is not just a new year for us, but it's also a new month. And, I, you know, I didn't realize there, there are actually people out there who listen to the podcast who uh, don't come to the church. And um, I, I, I don't really know why, but they've <laughs> listened to it and they've commented to me that they listen to it. And, uh, uh, you know, if you're listening to it, uh, I'm going to say, you know, the, the next maybe uh, couple of sermons is going to be very particular to our church. And if you're visiting us for the first time, uh, don't take that as this is the wrong time to visit, but this is actually a great time to visit because uh, uh, I'm going to be very, um, maybe forthright with uh, Good News Church in terms of uh, where we are and where we need to go and, and that sort of thing. And so uh, this month, I think, is a very important uh time for our church because, as uh, Matt said, it's been about nine, uh, I think almost even ten years possibly that we've been worshiping in this space. And uh, we're going we're gonna to make a move to a new space and a new worship time. Uh, but more than simply being a physical move, we, uh, the elders and I, we, we kind of see this as an opportunity to re-envision what Good News Church uh, is and what God is calling us to be and what God, God is calling us to do and how to serve the city. And so... You know, I'm sure many of you have noticed that in the last two years or so, uh, you know, a lot of the people who helped start this church and build this church uh, have moved away. 
and the, the community has changed uh, a lot. And part of, I think, what makes life in New York a little bit difficult is the transient nature of it, and people are always moving in and out. But uh, at the same time, I think in some ways it's actually good for mission because uh, it prevents us from being complacent. It prevents us from being set in our ways. And uh, we have to change and adapt and move where the Spirit of God is leading. And so uh, just to repeat the announcement, we're going to use this month as a month of spiritual preparation. And uh, that means we, we're going to pray together as a church. And if you feel that you are a, a part of this community, uh, please pray with us. Uh, we're going to read the Bible together as a church, uh, specifically through the book of Acts. And we're even going to fast together as a church. Uh, if you're on the email list, I sent out uh, details this past week. But from January 2nd to February 2nd, basically, um, we're going to read through the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters. Readings and reflections and prayers are going to be posted to uh, a blog that I created, AfterSundays.com. Uh, if you go on that website, and if you prefer not to go uh, on that website to receive it, but you want to receive it directly by email, uh, you can sign up for the email list, which is also on that website. Uh, and, you know, let me also say, I'm not the most technically savvy guy, but I thought that this was so important for our church that I figured out how to do these things. So it's all automated, right? I did a week in advance, and 6 a.m. every single day, if you signed up for that list, boom, it's going to be in your email box, and uh, it's going to post to that website. But uh, this is something that uh, we're hoping will bring us together in terms of uh, spiritually bring us together, especially as we read through the book of Acts and uh, the prayers that we can pray together as a church. And uh, that's, that's what we're looking forward to in this month of January, which is going to be somewhat of a, a transition uh, period. But what I thought we'd do today is I thought we might look at a passage from the book of Acts for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, uh, I think it will give you a taste of what the book of Acts is about and what we can expect to learn from it. But second, you know, we just finished a series on the book of Philippians, and in this passage, uh, it actually connects us to the book of Philippians because this is the ministry that takes place in Philippi, or in the Macedonian region. And third, uh, today is New Year's Day, and I think New Year's is very uh, apropos in terms of what Christianity is about, because Christianity is about newness. Jesus gives us a new life. Uh, through a new birth and makes us into a new creation. And the book of Acts is also about newness because it's about the Holy Spirit creating a new community in a new era with a new mission for the church. And so uh, today in particular, I want to look at these two aspects of new era and new life. Now there, is, uh, events, there are events in history that oftentimes mark the beginning of a new era. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, Two planes hit the World Trade Center on 9-11. And I was a history major in college, and I remember taking this course later that year, and the professor uh, I remember made this very prophetic remark, and he said, you know what, 9-11 is going to change the course of history for the United States, and we're going to begin to uh, define and understand history and interpret history from pre-9-11 and post-9-11. And he, he said that very soon after 9-11 happened. And that turned out, he turned out to be right, and that turned out to be... Uh, a new era or a shaping of history. And similarly, uh, and perhaps even more so, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is so significant in terms of the plan that God has uh, for the redemption of his people. And that too signals a new era of what God is going to do. Uh, in the beginning of Acts, which hopefully you'll read tomorrow in Acts chapter 1, you know, Jesus is resurrected, and he, he tells his disciples something very important. And he says this, do not depart from Jerusalem, right? Essentially he's saying, do not go out in mission, 
because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. And it's only after Jesus ascends into heaven and the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that the disciples begin to embark on mission. And I think that tells us something very important about the nature of the work of the church, the nature of the mission of the church. It tells us this, that the work of the church uh, isn't contingent upon our talents. It's not contingent upon uh, our great strategies and our innovation. But at the end of the day, the work of the church is contingent upon the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the book of Acts shows us. The Spirit, he is the one who directs. He is the one who guides. He is the one who empowers the work of the church in this new era. And without him, there is no mission. Without him, there are no conversions. Without him, there is no change of heart and there is no changed lives. I know for some people, the Holy Spirit is maybe uh, this big mystery, which I can understand. And if you're not a believer, uh, I can particularly understand where you might be coming from. I remember reading uh, the frustrations of uh, an atheist on this online blog, and he said he was very frustrated with Christians because when he would ask a Christian friend, you know, why did you become a Christian? What made you decide to become a Christian? They would often say something like this. You know, I can't really explain it, but the Holy Spirit just confirmed the truth of the gospel and the reality of God upon my heart, and I became a Christian. And uh, maybe if you're a Christian, you can kind of understand that response, but if you're not a Christian, or maybe even if you are a Christian, uh, maybe that, that response doesn't really help you. There's just too much mystery to it. It just seems a little too subjective, doesn't it? And if it sounds like it's subjective, then it doesn't really seem like it's based on anything solid. But uh, I guess the one thing I would say is this. Uh, I think it's kind of like listening to the opera your entire life and not really understanding why the opera is beautiful. Um, you know, I think there's plenty of people in the world who can uh, watch an opera. And, you know, I remember I saw my first opera in fourth grade and uh, I missed half of it because I fell asleep. It was the most uh, boring experience of my life. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of people like that. And you may be like that, too. Honestly, I'm kind of like that even now. Uh, but, you know, over time what happens is uh, you learn the greater story of a particular opera, right? And uh, if you ever are going to watch an opera, here's a tip, right? Read the story beforehand so you know what's going on. And you go to the opera and uh, maybe uh, suddenly something begins to come alive and the beauty of it becomes alive. Uh, you begin to hear the voices and you begin to hear the emotion of what they're singing and your heart is touched by something. It becomes beautiful to you. Finally, you have these ears to understand and ears to hear the beauty of that opera music. Uh, I, I think maybe uh, coming to see and experience the beauty of Christ may be a little bit like that. You might uh, be exposed to it. Somebody can try to explain it to you. But there is a subjective aspect where it finally hits you and finally becomes uh, meaningful to you, but at the same time, it's not completely subjective because there's plenty of people in the world who enjoy opera. There's plenty of people in the world who also see and experience uh, the beauty of Christ. And so there is something that maybe is connective in terms of our experience of it. But with that said, there still is a subjective aspect to experiencing the Spirit, isn't there, uh, which can make some of us maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And I think one of the reasons why it makes us uncomfortable is because uh, to be frank, people have abused uh, the reality of the Spirit. People have abused God and spirituality to manipulate others. People have said, well, I think God told me this, or I think God, the Spirit, is telling me to do this, uh, when it's really secretly their inner desires. And so I don't think it's a, necessarily a bad thing to question whether something really is from God or not. 
Uh, that's why we have things like community. Uh, that's why uh, we have things like the Bible and the Word and the Spirit always go together. So the Spirit is never going to tell us to do something that, the, that is contrary to what the Bible teaches. But I think at the same time, and this is probably what our group needs to consider, there, there is a danger into completely denying this subjective aspect of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the danger lies in not having a sense in what God is calling us to do. Does God want us to serve people in New York, or does God want us to move to Boise, Idaho, and serve people there? These are not things that are necessarily explicit in Scripture, but nevertheless, these are the kind of questions that have a big impact in terms of shaping our lives and the direction of our lives and how we use our lives. And I think these kinds of questions, there, there is a subjective element to it where you have to uh, kind of have a sense in terms of where the Spirit might be leading you and guiding you. Uh, just a little personal narrative here, but you know, if you were to ask me uh, what brought me and my family here to New York City and particularly to this church, I would probably tell you, uh, I would say, well, you know, New York is a big city and there's a lot of people, and therefore, because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of need, and New York needs a lot of churches. And of course, there is a big need out there, and uh, that sounds logical, and maybe that could sound even noble, but it wouldn't really explain the underlying primary reason why I'm here. About seven or eight years ago, my wife and I, we were engaged. Uh, my plan was, uh, I was part of this church plant in New Jersey, and my plan was after we're married, we'd be there. My wife was preparing to, she's a teacher, she was preparing to get certified in New Jersey and uh, find a job there. Uh, but then the, the church plant dissolved, and so what I ended up doing, I, I applied to different churches for different pastoral positions, and one church offered me a position. And uh, around that time, Pastor John uh, asked me if I would consider coming to New York instead, uh, which would also mean, he said, I would have to find just a regular full-time job. And logically, you know, it didn't really make sense to come here, uh, but all I can tell you why did we decide to come here is we felt that this is where God was leading us. Uh, there was a subjective aspect of the Spirit that the Spirit was leading us here, and that's why we decided to come here. Now, we could have been wrong, and maybe God wasn't calling us to come here, but uh, in retrospect, God opened a lot of doors for us, and uh, to me, that just seemed to confirm that he wanted us to be here and he wanted us to serve people in New York. You see, without a sense of guidance from the Spirit, I don't know if we'll ever have a sense of calling. And without a sense of calling, I don't know if we'll ever have a sense of conviction about what we're doing. And without a sense of conviction, we're not going to be anchored to anything at all that we do. And we're going to blow to and fro with the wind, wherever the wind may direct us and guide us. In our passage, we see something very important here, and it's that the Spirit is leading Paul in terms of where to go in his ministry. Okay? But here's the thing. You should be very aware that also in the prior passage, Paul, Paul had a plan. He had a different plan. And his original plan was he was going to go to all of these established churches and visit them because in Acts chapter 15, there was this theological controversy where all of the church leaders met in this council and they decided on this controversial theological issue. And so what Paul's plan, original plan was to do was to go to and visit all these churches and basically tell them the result of that council or the decision that ensued. And uh, he, he thought he was going to go to these churches to strengthen them. But you see here, as they're moving through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, it says in verse 6 that the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
And you think about how did Paul end up going to the region of Macedonia? How did Paul end up going to the city of Philippi? He had a vision. He had a vision at night, and a man of Macedonia urged him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul has this vision, he concludes, God has called us to preach to the people in Macedonia. Very interesting, isn't it? Now, we don't know the particulars of what's going on here or how the Spirit exactly forbade Paul's team from going to certain areas. Maybe it was an inner voice. Maybe it was through prophecy. Maybe it was just through circumstances. But it's very clear that it is the Spirit that is guiding and directing their ministry. And Paul is simply obeying and submitting to the direction of the Spirit. And if you notice, God is ultimately the one who also supplies the vision. And in this case, Paul literally had a vision. And I'm not saying that's what happens to us today. Personally, I've never had this vision of somebody saying, come here and help us. But nevertheless, it shows us God is the one who ultimately supplied vision to Paul. And so Paul redirects his plans, and he follows the Spirit's lead, and he ends up going to the region of Macedonia. And the leading city there is Philippi. And so Paul goes to Philippi, and he encounters these three different kinds of people. Now, <clears throat> for the sake of time, we only have time to look at two of those people. But you should know that these three people are very different in who they are, and the way that they end up becoming a Christian is very different as well. And I think the point that Luke, the author of Acts, is trying to make is that the gospel is far-reaching. It reaches all different kinds of people. It doesn't just reach one kind of people, and it also reaches all kinds of people in different ways, not simply in a singular way. And so God, he doesn't do it in one way, but he has uh, all of these stories, and what these stories show us is that God has the power to do it in many ways to a diverse group of people. Well, one of the practices of the church, if you're not familiar with, is uh, people sometimes give testimonies. Testimonies. Uh, if somebody wants to become baptized, what they'll often do is they'll come up and they'll give their testimony uh, to the church. Or even if somebody wants to become a member of a church, what I ask them to do is I ask them to write out their testimony in terms of how they came to faith in Christ and for me, it's probably one of the most encouraging moments uh, in terms of my job as a pastor uh, because I love seeing the different ways in which God has touched people and God has reached people and God has uh, changed people's lives. And so what I thought I would do uh, for this passage, I thought I'd introduce you to the characters in this passage by way of testimony. And you, I want you to imagine that they're actually here, that we are in the Church of Philippi and um, they're coming up here, and they're about to share with you uh, what the Spirit of God did in their lives. We have these two people, and the first person is this woman named Lydia. And there's a couple details about this woman, Lydia, in verse 14. So she's from the city of Thyatira. She's a seller of purple goods, and she is a worshiper of God. And based on these small details, there's actually a lot that we can learn about this woman. If she's from Thyatira, then what is she doing in the city of Philippi? Well, she's probably there on business. So she's on a business trip. And there's a, lot, a couple clues that tells us she's pretty good at business and she's pretty successful because after her conversion, she invites Paul and his fellow missionaries into her home. That means she has a home that is big enough to house them. But because she is not from Philippi, then this could possibly even be her second home. The other thing that we learn about this woman is that she is a worshiper of God. And basically, this is a phrase that was used to describe people who came into contact with the Jewish community and learned Jewish religious practices without actually being a Jewish person. In other words, uh, if we could sum up, she is an affluent, successful, spiritual seeker. And if she were standing up here today, what would she say? What would her testimony be? I imagine she would say something like this. Church, I thought I had it all. I made a lot of money through my business. I experienced a lot of success. But you know what? I was searching for something more. 
I encountered some Jews and I learned how to pray and I learned how to worship God, but he seemed so far away. Then one day as I was in this place of prayer with some other women, I heard this preacher named Paul and uh, he came up to me. And the Lord, he opened my heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying and to what Paul was teaching. And Paul, he told me about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He told me that the Lord does not dwell in man-made temples, nor is served by human hands. And to my joy, he also said that God is not far from me, but he is actually very near, that in him we live and move and have our being. He called me to repent and to be baptized. And I was so persuaded by that and so attracted by what Paul was saying about Jesus Christ and what he did and his death and his resurrection that I, along with my household, we decided to get baptized. And we decided to become followers of Jesus Christ. And after that moment, so much joy filled my heart that I wanted to serve. And so I invited Paul and his other missionaries to, to stay at my house and I served them. That would be such a powerful testimony to hear. And this is the testimony of Lydia based on this one encounter that he has, that she has with the Apostle Paul. Now you look at the second character, and the second character is completely different than Lydia. Uh, the second person is a slave girl, and she is nameless. And we know even less about this girl than we did of Lydia. And according to verse 16, she was a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. And this is a girl who's very different from the type of woman that Lydia was. She's a slave, and there's this evil spirit within her. And she's used to being exploited for profit by her owners because she had this ability to tell fortunes. And uh, she's kind of like this contemporary equivalent of uh, a girl on the street who's being exploited for money by a pimp. And she begins to follow around Paul and crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And uh, maybe on paper that doesn't sound too bad, but the context tells us that it's not such a good thing because Paul eventually becomes annoyed. Uh, by the way, when I read that, that Paul was annoyed, that was actually reassuring for me to hear uh, because Paul becomes annoyed. And if you're somebody who easily gets annoyed by people, uh, the good news is that God ministered to this girl despite the fact that Paul did it out of annoyance. Uh, but Paul, he says, uh, right, out of annoyance to the tells this girl, or the spirit within this girl, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And in very dramatic fashion, came out of her. Now imagine this girl, so different from Lydia, coming up to the church of Philippi, giving her testimony and saying something like this. I was a girl without hope. I felt trapped. I was enslaved by an evil spirit. And my owners, they exploited me and used me for their profit. And I don't know why, but I started following these men as they were going from place of prayer, and I would harass them for days. And then one day, one of them commanded this evil spirit within me to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what? Suddenly, I felt free. Suddenly, I felt liberated. I felt alive again. And my life was filled with hope as I experienced the very power and authority of Jesus Christ. And on account of being freed and liberated from this evil spirit, my owners could no longer exploit me, and my life was changed. What a different yet equally powerful testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, as a result of uh, this exorcism of an evil spirit from this slave girl, Paul and Silas, they're beaten and they're wrongfully thrown into prison where they would pray and sing hymns to God. And that event actually leads to the third story, which is not included today and uh, which we can't get into today, but this third story about a Philippian jailer. And if you look at all of these different stories, 
They happen to very different people in very different ways. Lydia is this well-to-do businesswoman who hears the gospel in a small group setting. She hears this presentation of the gospel and she is attracted to it and she is persuaded by it. And maybe it sounds like a testimony that you might hear in a place like New York. The second girl, the slave girl, she's possessed by an evil spirit and she experiences the authority and the power of Jesus Christ as the spirit is cast out of her. And this might be a, a this might sound like a testimony that you might hear in maybe other parts of the world where you hear these kinds of super spiritual things. And you have this third person who's a Gentile jailer who's probably this retired soldier. And he is so touched by the fact that Paul and Silas cared so much about him that they didn't escape prison when they had the opportunity that he listened to what they had to say. See, here's my point. God, in this new era, he brings about new life through various means, through different kinds of people, in different ways. But guess what? It is still the same spirit that is at work. Paul and his team are in Macedonia. Why? Why are they in Macedonia? Not because they're these brilliant strategists, because that, that's not where they were planning to go. They are in Macedonia because the Spirit guided them there. The Spirit guided them there. I think this is what we have to understand about the work of the church, that it's not ultimately contingent upon uh, what we're able to do. It's not ultimately contingent upon whether we have these grand visions and whether we have all this talent and gift to execute. At the end of the day, the work of the church is contingent upon the work of the Spirit and where the Spirit of God is leading and guiding and directing and the work that the Spirit is doing in people's lives and in people's hearts. And we are simply the means of that. We are simply the instruments of that. And we are simply the ones who get to uh, be privileged to participate and to take part in that. That's why we need to pray this month. <laughs> Please. All right. That's why we need to pray this month. Uh, because we need the Spirit to guide our church and to fill our church with Him. Uh, so that our ministry would have power because of him. There's a final testimony that we also have to consider. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I struggled with to, how to conclude this message. But I thought the perfect way to conclude this message is actually not by what I usually do, by giving this explicit uh, proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thought a great way to conclude this message is to lead right into communion and let communion be the conclusion of this message. Because there is, there is a final testimony uh, that is to be told, and this testimony comes from God himself. And let me just read what 1 John chapter 5 says. It says this, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And he, listen to this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We're going to celebrate communion in a moment. And here's what I want you to understand about communion. This is, a, this is a meal that God 
instituted to be his testimony to us. A testimony of grace, a testimony of life, a testimony of love, a testimony of sacrifice. That as we go and as we partake and as we celebrate and partake of the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ, that that testimony ultimately gives us a testimony that we can proclaim as well. Without this testimony, Lydia has no testimony, the slave girl has no testimony, and all of you who are believers have no testimony. But praise God that he gives us his testimony and testifies to the love of Christ who's broken for us. Let's pray as we uh, prepare for the Lord's Supper.